journalists at the New York Times can write really shitty stories and you sitting somewhere in a small Ukrainian city can write a much better story than them. It's totally normal because all of us are just people doing the same thing. There are thousands of people daily whose job it is to spread lies in Ukraine. And, and all of this also happened in, at the worst possible time when the entire the entire Western world was ringing all our, all alarms possible on the potential invasion by Russia. We were the bridge between the West and Ukraine, yeah. You never, never, ever, 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 ever give interviews for kind of like an approval or a proofread. I cover um, human rights, various humanitarian issues, and I've been nicknamed as the human suffering reporter. <laughs> Prishira Podcast. Here we meet, discuss, debate, and talk to people who draw bridges between political perspectives. Welcome everyone. You're listening to Bridge Europe Podcast. I'm Vlad from Bridge Europe Online, and I'm pleased to host this episode in which we're gonna talk about press freedom and opportunities for young journalists. Press and news media are often being referred to as the fourth pillar of democracy, and there is a good reason for that. Independent journalism not only serves as a power check for our elected leaders, but also creates a bridge between the people and the public servants. High-quality press and media are essential for freedom of speech and diversity of opinions to exist, and for a liberal democracy to persist. My guest on this episode is Anastasia Lapatina. She has been a staff reporter for Kyiv Post, Ukraine's oldest English-language newspaper. Before, on November 8th of this year, all the staff was suddenly fired and the publication was suspended after 26 years of editorial independence. Anastasia wrote numerous articles about human rights violations in Crimea and about the lives of Ukrainian women in the Middle East. In this podcast, we are talking about the importance of the journalist standards the role and future of Kyiv Post, and opportunities for the aspiring young journalists. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it's, it's a big pleasure to have you on the podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I think uh, it would be reasonable to start with your biography. Tell, tell me a bit about about yourself, how, how you ended up working in Kyiv Post and... It's slightly, it's slightly a long story, but um, so I'm Anastasia. Um, I'm a third year student at the University of British Columbia in Canada, but at the moment I'm doing an exchange year at Sciences Po, which is a political university in France. So because of uh, COVID and the pandemic and everything else. Um, I had to leave Canada because my university went fully online. So it made, it just made sense to come back home to Kiev, which is where I'm from. I'm Ukrainian. Um, so I came back home to Kiev and I haven't spent more than maybe a few weeks um, in Ukraine for the last maybe five years. I would only come home for um, holidays, but um, I understood that I'm going to have to spend like at least half a year there. So I started um, just searching for various opportunities to get involved because I'm a huge believer in the fact that um, 
all students should try and get involved outside of university as much as possible because I think in the long run that's what's going to matter much more than your degree. So I just started looking for various NGOs, um, I don't know, Kiev Pride, any other organization that does anything with human rights, politics, stuff that I'm involved in. And uh, I've always known the Kiev Post. It's been uh, pretty much Ukraine's only English language newspaper for 26 years. Um, it, it, it was a huge source of information. My parents learned English from the Kiev Post when they were back in university. So I was aware of the newspaper. I was never in journalism before. Uh, during the pandemic, I began blogging on Medium. I'd like write various politics related stuff, explaining why, I don't know, oil prices went negative or, or just things that I was interested in and didn't really understand. I would just write about them to explain them to myself. And I was always good at writing before. Any, any writing related assignment in school, I'd always do better in it. Um, I have always written poetry, short stories, etc. So um, after I began blogging, I was like, okay, cool. I, I love politics. I love writing. There is a way to combine these two. Perfect. So um, I pretty much went on the Kiev Post website and found all the commercial emails there. So um, like company emails of all the journalists, the publisher, the editors pretty much began emailing everyone. Of course, no one responded to me because who cares about some Anna? So I emailed a bunch of editors at the Kiev Post and no one responded. Then I uh, ended up uh, just messaging in uh, on Facebook to the chief editor, Brian, Brian Boner. He saw my message and didn't respond. In a week, I texted him again. And finally, after like two months of knocking the door, um, he responded and he asked me to send my resume to him, etc. And then within like a day, he was like, you have very good qualifications, come in, uh, you can try, start interning. That was, um, I think, 2020 September. So I came in. It was amazing, obviously, this like picture-perfect, fancy, white office. This was like my first job. No, okay, well, it was my first serious job. Like, I worked as a barista before, you know. This was my only professional experience, really. So, um, and before that, I haven't done any journalism. Or actually, I have, but it, it was... Uh, I worked for uh, Svidomi. It's uh, a uh, Ukrainian youth media. It, they're currently quite big in Instagram. They have, like, um, I think over... 30,000 followers, but it, it was it was something completely different. It wasn't conventional journalism where you have to learn how to structure a story, give, uh, take interviews, etc. So pretty much what happened is, to cut the long story short, I um, interned for a month and a half um, and then went to Brand's office and was like, hey, I love it here. Maybe I should start getting paid for things I do. And he was like, great, we love you too. So, and I've stayed there ever since it's been um over a year now whoa <laughs> i told you it's a long story you can cut all of that out if you want to uh, i probably want it sounds really exciting i mean the first job uh in the ukrainian like ukraine's only english newspaper i was shocked i mean like even after a year of working there, very often I'd come to the office and be like, what the heck am I doing here? <laughs> How did they even, like, you know, hire me? But, yeah. No, no, but, uh, I mean, it sounds quite as inspiring as well. I mean, just just ask and ask and ask and eventually you will get a response. 
it's the only advice I have, really. I mean, I've so many people actually would ask me like, oh, tell us the story of your success. And I'm like, guys, I didn't do anything. I just went a little further than just checking the website, seeing that there are no vacancies and being like, okay, fuck it and moving on. Like you, you have to try a little harder than that and, and, and people will, will like that. Uh, it is it is also quite quite interesting that eventually like you you got into Kiev post basically over social media right yeah i pretty much just went and uh, i was lucky enough to have one mutual friend with brian that's why when i added him uh, to my friends list he was more likely probably to accept the friends request and actually see my message so i was quite lucky in that sense but yes i think uh People, people tend to idealize this whole process. They think there is some like very long, complex application, but very often these huge organizations are actually a very small office or a very small newsroom. And they're people just like you. And you really see this all over journalism. People make mistakes. Uh, journalists at the New York Times can write really shitty stories and you sitting somewhere in a small Ukrainian city can write a much better story than them. It's totally normal because all of us are just people doing the same thing. So yes, people should kind of not build these imaginary walls and just try to reach out as much as possible. I think I think getting back to, to like Facebook and social media, I think the social media do it even, even more like even easier, uh, especially for the young people who want to start in journalism, it's it's much much easier to enter the the industry basically. Absolutely, there are especially in Ukraine there are a lot of, uh, for example, Telegram channels, Facebook groups, um, Instagram pages that kind of um, unite all of these young journalists who are just at the first steps in their career and they post various vacancies, they give advices, they make sort of lectures and, and, and Zoom calls uh, advising people on how to progress in their career. And the, all of these opportunities are there as, as long as you look for them. So of course, social media uh, is is a very important part of this job hunting process, especially because posting uh, job vacancies on like on kind of conventional job sites is not really a thing anymore. I mean, it's done, but the better way is finding uh, chief editors or just editors of various newspapers you're involved in, you're, you're interested in, and following them on Facebook. Nine out of 10, in nine out of 10 situations, they will just post people they're looking for there. They're just gonna be like, guys, we're looking for a reporter, send a resume here. And that's how people are gonna learn. It's not gonna be like a, like a, like you're not applying for a job at the U.S. Defense Ministry. They're not gonna do like this whole website posting with a huge, you know, like list of papers to submit. No, it's just gonna be an editor being like, "Hey, we need someone. Please DM me." That's how it's gonna be. <laughs> and it's been done. Like I've, I've I've witnessed it. I've seen it first firsthand. So the threshold is kind of low. It's it's pretty easy to enter. What about the standards? Like it, like usually people who enter from the social media, the amateurs, they don't receive like any academic training course of some kind. They don't study journalism, but basically everyone can become journalists nowadays. What about the standards 
you as a journalist have to uphold? I think I think I'm gonna stop you there because I I want to disagree. The fact that opportunities exist and the fact that it's relatively simple uh, doesn't mean that it's really easy to get those jobs because and especially if we're talking about Ukraine, we have so many young journalists, like so many graduates who for some completely unknown to me reason think that going to journalism school is a good idea. It's not. Literally in my over a year of being in this community of journalists, I have not met a single person. I'm telling you, Vlad, not a single person who would tell me that they do not regret going to school of journalism in Ukraine. I've only met one girl and she went to London to study masters. Literally, that's the only person. So what I'm saying is that there, there, there are huge groups of people. There is a large number of Ukrainian young people who want to become journalists. So it's not actually easy. It's not easy to find a job. I'm just saying that um, it, it's, it's much easier with social media, yes, but that still doesn't mean it's easy, especially if we're talking about really good, high-level, high-standards publications like the Kiev Post was. I was just very lucky because, um, I mean... English was pretty much my second mother tongue. I've spent over four years in Canada, um, and uh, which is key to work at the Kiev Post. So um, there are not a lot of people like that in Ukraine. It's extremely difficult to find a reporter who knows English and who understands Ukrainian politics and who also preferably knows Ukrainian or Russian so we can interview people and read news, etc. So um, I was just very lucky because I knew I had that language component. But there were so many kids, well, kids, there were so many young adults, uh, you know, and and 20-year-olds who really didn't have that. Their English was like a Ukrainian high school level of English. That's not enough to to become a journalist. So that's just to sum up that it's it's easier than people think, but that doesn't mean that it's just going to like fall on your plate. And then... uh, towards your second question that um, how high are the standards? Again, I assume you're interested in Ukraine strictly. Um, and anyway, that's the, that's the experience that I can share. Personally, at the Kiev Post, we had pretty much the highest standards in Ukraine. And I'm not saying that because, you know, that's, that's, my, uh, that's my news bureau. Therefore, I'm going to hype it up. But the amount of times I've been asked by people who I've interviewed to send them the interview beforehand so they can approve it. It was pretty much like every time. And that's like in the West, that's just journalism 101 basic rule. You never, never, ever, 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 ever give interviews for kind of like an approval or a proofread. Because if you do that, then the person has like, if you allow the person to see the text beforehand, they now have the leverage to say, oh, that's in that is info about me and you can't post it because I don't like the way it sounds blah 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 so I mean it's not worth going into what that can then go and get into in political spheres people are just going to manipulate that but it's pretty much a normal standard in Ukraine to do that though like pretty much nearly everyone gives articles for like proofreading to people they've interviewed and we at the Kiev Post, because we work by Western standards, we'd pretty much get attacked. Like I've seen colleagues, also young people my age who are new, they would get calls from all of these like politicians being like, you can't publish this. Like, I want to read this. Like, which quotes did you use? And we have to like really tell them that this is just how things are. This is, th- these are just the standards we have to uphold. Moreover, 
we didn't make this up. This is like how the entire Western world, which we're trying to be a part of, functions. So to sum up, it really depends on, uh, on which circles you're entering, because of course, Ukraine also has a huge problem of, of just media outlets who serve uh, oligarchs and who serve um, influential people. Of course, standards there go as far as 100 grivna for an article. I'm exaggerating, but it, it really it really depends on where you work. But you, you, Ukraine has, but nevertheless, even though we have kind of like a tainted, um, tainted reputation for maybe free press or just in general the media atmosphere, we have we have a good number of really good trustworthy publications. And Kiev Post was certainly one of them. Yeah, I think uh, it takes it takes a lot of uh, a lot of resilience for the for for the journalist to to uphold the, the standards, especially in the atmosphere, which is uh, a lot a lot more different than 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 it is in the West, like in the traditional oh, West, West at least. Absolutely, absolutely. Ukraine, uh, Ukraine is a very Ukraine has a very unique media atmosphere. And for someone who who is a young professional, for someone who who started working in such an environment, I re I really very often feel like I'm ready for anything. <laughs> I mean, like literally in my first year of my journalism career, a newspaper that I worked for was shut down for criticizing the government like how more how more dramatic can it get than this you know so um it's definitely a challenge but that's what makes the profession interesting in my opinion yeah could you could you maybe elaborate a bit on on, on that uh, so the key the key post being shut down is was was i think even even here in the west quite quite a bit of a story like uh, i i personally saw quite a few newspapers publishing an art articles about Kiev post being the guardian yeah. le monde liberation yeah um definitely we did just right of the bed we did not expect this kind of reaction it's mind-blowing to this day we're just so overwhelmed by by the support from pretty much all over the world um but what happened is um the Kiev Post existed for 26 years. We've had um, we've had various owners. Of course, the media business is tricky in a way that uh, whatever owner you have, uh, no matter how how high their ethical or standards or how low their ethical standards are, they are gonna somewhat, at least indirectly, suffer from from the work that we do. And and of course, people who get into media the media business in Ukraine understand that. So what happened? To, to, to not make this like an like an hour long narration, on November eighth, um, the newsroom it, it was a regular Monday. The the newsroom showed up. Um, we were chatting, getting 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 coffee, um, figuring out our plans for the day. I unfortunately or fortunately was not there. I at that time worked part time and I was at home. But we've had a very tense situation in the newsroom for a while, so I was always checking our um, group chats to see what the updates are. So what happened was that our chief editor came and uh, we have regular Monday meetings every Monday morning. But on November 8th, he came and said that the Kiev Post was shut down, um, that it just ceases to exist. Nothing is gonna be published anymore. Uh, he said that it was the decision of the owner, Adnan Kivan, um, Kivan is a, he is a, um, 
a construction guy. He uh, deals with the, the construction business in Ukraine, specifically in Odessa, which is just notorious, notoriously known for corruption. Um, I mean, to sum up, like you really can, if you're if you're a construction businessman in Odessa, the chances are extremely high that you're involved in in, in corruption. So uh, Brian told us that it was his decision to shut down the Kiev Post. And uh, this came amid uh, weeks and weeks of, uh, of high tensions between uh, the, news, uh, the newsroom and Kivan. What initially um, kicked off um, that tension was, I don't remember the exact date, but a few weeks before we were all fired, um, a woman, Olena Rotari, who um, has worked closely with Kivan, he, she's also in the sphere, in the sphere of journalism, she posted on Facebook a post saying that um, she uh, has been appointed. She is now the new chief editor of any publication, the Ukrainian version of the Kiev Post, which is not at all affiliated with the... Not, not as it, that it's not at all affiliated, but it's not directly connected to the English language Kiev Post. It's, it's, gonna, it's a part of the Kiev Post brand, but it's going to be a separate Ukrainian publication. She's going to lead it. She was advertising uh, various job vacancies. She was looking for people. She had a professional email set up. So we, we saw it and we were like, sorry, what? <laughs> so what happened is that Kivan uh, went behind the backs of the entire newsroom, including the chief editor. Literally none of us knew that he wanted to expand like this. Moreover, not only expand, which we didn't necessarily mind, we eventually agreed to lead this expansion because Previously, we only had an English version and he wanted us to get bigger and better and more influential. And we were like, okay, we can try and work it out how to have a Ukrainian version. But he appointed his person, this woman, who doesn't have really the best reputation in journalism circles in Ukraine. He pretty much handpicked her and put her as the chief editor. And that just goes against anything we've ever known in regards to editorial independence. So all of us... Uh, obviously protested and said that we we are not gonna like this is not normal we can't let this happen we published a statement saying that the team ha has no information about this we can't confirm nor deny we have just genuinely no info and well to sum up which we pretty much said that okay there can be an expansion but the person who's gonna lead it has to apply and have a fair job process, a transparent job application process. Like all of us here who've had to apply with resumes and have internship, internships or have uh, testing periods and would have to earn the trust of the team and show that they're actually capable and qualified before being appointed to such high positions. Um, and uh, a few weeks after, we, we showed that we're not going to deal with this woman, Olena Rotari. That's when the that's when the decision came, and that's when uh, we were we were told that we're all fired. Uh, there were also other problems like um, our critical coverage of well, a variety of Ukrainian politicians. We we were never we were never silent on 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 anyone. It's not like we had people or parties that we we couldn't critically cover. Of course not. Um, we we criticized everyone if they if they deserved to be criticized, but especially uh, we um, we caused some problems for the owner as 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 it looked like. 
um, because of our critical coverage of uh, the Prosecutor General of Ukraine, Irina Venediktova. We published multiple stories about her work and uh, about her poor performance and about uh, allegations of corruption and abuse of power, etc. And uh, there was information uh, um, that we learned later that um, after one of one of those articles uh, that we published, she opened some uh, investigations into Kivan, our owner, and then she later closed them. And we, we don't know more info than this, but it, it, it's obvious that there was pressure. Similar stories were with the various lawmakers who threatened with lawsuits after our coverage and so on. So um, that's pretty much what happened. Um, we were all fired for standing up for our editorial independence, but um, but we, we regrouped and we're launching a new media and it's looking great. And uh, some insider info for you, we're going to launch our interim website tomorrow. And I can tell you because obviously the podcast is not going to be out tomorrow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, you're definitely not giving up, are you? Oh, we're, no. We, there was, our team, in a way, we're all still shocked that it even happened because the our our response was just so swift like the the day that we all got fired we immediately within a few hours published a statement by the team saying that we think this is this is an act of vengeance we think that this is the owner getting rid of um independent journalists who are just trying to do their job fairly and we've all just knew pretty much from the get-go that we're not just gonna let ukraine the biggest country in europe that's in the middle of war, just not have an English newspaper anymore. I mean, and 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 all of this also happened in, at the worst possible time when the entire the entire Western world was ringing all our all alarms possible on the potential invasion by Russia, or rather further invasion by Russia, and that's exactly when such critical coverage of Ukraine in English is needed and it's not there the Kiev post website has been silent for weeks we are the only one because we immediately regrouped and launched a newsletter um as a part of our new publication that we're building building right now we're pretty much the only one trying to fill in this vacuum but other than that it's all foreign journalists who don't have the same level of understanding trying to figure it out so of course the situation is is very extreme right now yeah yeah, I think obviously Kiev Post is probably one of the big, uh, big bridges between between the Ukraine and 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 the Western press and uh, the Western readers. We were um, the bridge between the West and Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, any any embassy in the world that had any contact with Ukraine, all the expats, all the foreigners who lived in Ukraine, all the investors. Anyone from the English-speaking world who had any contact with Ukraine, they read us. Like, that's how much it mattered. And it just was so surprising to me when just some young Ukrainians um, w would say, oh, well, but no one even read them. Like, why is everyone getting so worked up about this? And it was just funny. Like, we would laugh at this because 
actually everyone did everyone who everyone from the west did and, and when you're in, in ukraine of course you may you may read ukrainian news you may read however and you may not necessarily read the Kiev post because you're not our audience our main audience is all the foreigners and the west and they they had this opportunity taken away from them when the Kiev post closed so yes we had a very critical role especially during the revolution during the revolution we had hundreds of thousands of, of reads because i mean we everyone we, we were in the spotlight everyone looked to us everyone was interested in what was going on and we were providing the best english language coverage if not the only one english language coverage in ukraine so yes bridge is a very good word for this but obviously this this kind of network is a huge loss right so after after the, the newspaper has been basically dissolved and this the, this whole network those those uh, embassies you've talked about they're they're in principle they're gone right now what what are the chances for you to rebuild this network uh, fast enough to to establish the coverage again i think the chances are extremely high um, because uh, we, as I've already mentioned, we've received an, an incredible amount of support, really an unprecedented amount of support from <clears throat> from all over the world. Um, the U.S. Embassy, the Swiss Embassy, the French Embassy, uh, the UK, the Embassy of the United Kingdom, really any, I mean, pr pretty much all the embassies that have stayed with the Kiev Post before, when they saw what happened, they had a very clear understanding of reality, regardless of what the other side would say and regardless of how much they'd blame us for just bullying the chief editor because we didn't want to expand into the Ukrainian version. Like that's not at all what happened. That's, that's straight up just lies. And we've reiterated this in dozens of interviews, if not hundreds. So um, yes, all of them, all of this, the, the entire network pretty much stayed with us. All of the big key players, um, the embassies, they've all supported us. Uh, we've already, we already have over 540 patrons on Patreon, which for Ukraine is an unprecedented amount. And we've had the Patreon for like a week. And we already have over 6,000 of USD um, in monthly donations. I'm pretty sure that, I'm not going to down this hill, but the last time I checked, I think we were the second largest receiver of Patreon donations in Ukraine. The only uh, the only other that's higher than us, that's not immediate, that's uh, the fund uh, that's the NGO that deals with um, with the conflict in Donbass and helps soldiers there. Um, but yeah, we've we've in in like a month we already now are like a hundred pounds away from our from fully crowdfunding our fundraising goal of ten thousand pounds in a week. And we also have a bunch of investors looking to invest into us. We have a bunch of NGOs saying that they're willing to help with what they can. We've had people who own co-working spaces, cafes saying, hey, guys, if you need an office space, you can just use our spaces for free for as long as you need. And we, we've taken up on that offer. We've used an amazing co-working space in Kiev completely for free. Uh, we have a bunch of lawyers helping us pro bono. We have um, a, a, a very successful uh, Ukrainian company building a website for us, also pro bono. So the amount of support we're receiving is amazing and, and we're extremely hopeful and we're sure that we, we are we're going to be able to fill this gap because if not us, then who? This is just what 
what we're meant to do because this is the keep post team we can't let this go yeah it seems it seems like the demand for for free and independent journalism and free free press in ukraine is quite high well again as i mentioned we're in the middle of war and unfortunately um we got very unlucky with our neighbors we really couldn't have couldn't have had worse neighbors than russia and belarus especially russia and we pretty much live in in this constant in this constant atmosphere of fighting back and not only on the battlefields of the bus not only um in the occupied territories in crimea in eastern ukraine but also on the internet because of course russia's hybrid warfare tactics are just huge and and it's it's a huge part of of their whole strategy of destabilizing ukraine and the west in general so um i mean there are thousands of people daily whose job it is to spread lies in ukraine and whose job it is to um create anti-vaxxers in ukraine create anti-government people in ukraine create more pro-russian and russian-minded people in ukraine so all of this is happening of course this is going to be met by a large pushback from the democratic part of ukraine who sees this and who says, well, we have to employ similar tactics. And by that, of course, I don't mean um, using similar propaganda, but for different means. No, I don't think that's correct. But we also have to be winning this information war. We need honest journalism because it's a matter of national security. We need independent press because it is literally a matter of survival for our nation. It's how we create national identity it's how we make sure that people really know what's happening because right now we don't even have a hundred percent of ukrainians believing that russia is an aggressor and an enemy and we're like in the middle of the eighth i think here or the seventh year of war so there is still a lot to be done but the the the, the reason why we have such a vibrant civil society and such a vibrant media environment and uh why we're fighting back so much because it, it really is a matter of survival it's because it really is a matter of survival for our country there's nothing else we can do i think this is this is an absolutely important message to to all the especially the young people who want to become journalists or are just interested in reading and being able to have to have access to free and independent uh, press and journalism let's get a bit into into what you are doing so you've been talking about the coverage of of the important topics about the war about the crimea and you 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 yourself have has done quite a lot of research and wrote a number of articles on on crimea especially uh how how did it happen that this was the topic you've been involved in so um that's that's a great question i love talking about crimea i actually get questions very often whether i'm from crimea or whether i'm crimean tatar but no um <clears throat> i just have a very strong sense of justice and also injustice which of course if you're a journalist you sort of have to have that feeling 
um so um how i got into it it all started with me just starting to like read books about it and um just reading reading news coverage first of all realizing that there isn't nearly enough um coverage on crimea and the only coverage that's available it's the majority of it is in russian the majority of people in crimea are russian speakers therefore um of course as a news outlet whoever you may be it, it's important for you to target that audience therefore you're going to write in in russian but if you're trying to find news in ukrainian it's going to be hard so um i started just reading news reports books um dispatches from crimea and uh, i started looking at what's happening with crimean tatars so crimean tatars are um an ethnic minority native to the crimean peninsula um and uh since russia annexed crimea in 2014 uh the kremlin just waged a- an entire campaign against them um trying to discredit them as much as possible um throwing dozens and hundreds of crimean tatars behind bars on just completely made up completely made up charges of terrorism extremism um attempts to stage coup d'etats and other just completely bogus accusations that's because of course since the annexation um crimean tatars have always have always been very pro ukrainian very freedom loving which is then by definition anti russian um so they've really opposed the annexation from day one of course the kremlin was not happy about this so um their daily reality is is horrifying and it's something that's just completely not talked about well maybe i'm a little exaggerating but if you turn on the tv you really will not hear anything about this even though these these people crimean tatars live in just a daily state of unending fear i mean there are completely illegal raids of crimean tatar homes and they 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 happen at night or in early morning they raid these homes they look for anything even remotely related to islam of course crimean tatars are uh, majority muslims um so they they raid the homes looking for uh, some notes on islam um, the quran anything remotely related to religion and then they spin that into into accusations of um, those people's alleged relations with the uh, hizb at-tahrir that is a uh, islamic political party uh, it functions legally in ukraine it functions legally in the majority of european countries but it has been banned in russia for some time it's been recognized as a uh, terrorist therefore what russia does it just handpicks random uh, crimean tatars mostly activists who've been inconvenient who've been causing problems to the kremlin on the peninsula they accuse them of um of being involved in terrorist activity of planning some sort of terrorist attacks and they they send them to russian jails for like 15 20 years and there are over 100 crimean tatars who are either already serving their time or are awaiting sentencing on these charges So of course when I saw all of this and I started getting into um into the analysis of these cases I saw that they're just completely made up 
as in as in a five year old boy just sat down and 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 drew some you know caricatures on on a piece of paper. That's how bogus th these charges are, and and I remember just being filled with just rage and and, and just feeling of anger because I've never seen anything like this before, truly, and it, it's and it's happening on my soil, and those people are 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 also my people. They're Ukrainians. So uh, yeah, I started covering Crimea because because also there is not enough coverage in Ukraine about Crimea. It's really not a very hot issue anymore. The only time we really talk about it is when something just outlandish happens. Like um, a few months ago, um, over 60, I think, uh, Crimean Tatars got arrested in one day. We had a whole cover at the Kiev Post, um, the front page on it. I wrote it with my colleague, Anna Miranyuk. But other than that, there is very little coverage. So I just, I just felt that I have the, I have the responsibility to fill that gap. Another reason for this type of coverage is the fact that I'm just fascinated by the Muslim world. And, um, this not only, this is not only about Crimean Tatars, but I've also covered, um, Ukrainians in conflict zones. I've written about Ukrainians in Afghanistan after the U.S. pullout and of course the chaos that happened after the takeover by the Taliban. I've written about Ukrainians in Gaza and Israel when the war there reignited in spring 2021. I have written about a Ukrainian family who pretty much got smuggled into Syria and lived under ISIS and then ended up in refugee camps in northeastern Syria and how they were repatriated back home. So this broad Middle Eastern region has been a major area of my focus because I actually want to work there in the future. This is my academic focus as well. So uh, any any opportunity I have to kind of have these two worlds collide, Ukraine and the Middle East, I, I jump on that and my editors know it. Right now, I am uh, doing something extremely interesting. Um, I'm staying in touch with a Ukrainian woman who is in prison in Baghdad, in Iraq. She is there, uh, she's been there for a few years um, on, uh, again, charges, uh, just her connection to ISIS. She was married to an ISIS fighter. So, um, it's a slow process because she can't use her phone very often. Of course, she's in jail. Uh, they have their little ways of communication. But when she has internet, when she has access to the phone, she tries to text me and record audio messages explaining to me what happened. And I get to ask her questions. So I'm hoping to hopefully publish that at some point soon. But yeah, I, again, to sum up, <laughs> I cover I cover Ukrainians in conflict zones. I cover occupied territories like Crimea and Donbas. I cover um, human rights, various humanitarian issues, and I've been nicknamed as the human suffering reporter <laughs> because all of my stories are just are just incredibly sad, unfortunately. But I think those those stories are very important and they have to be told. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the truth is. And the, the, I think I think the life is generally quite cruel, and we're living like we are living in relatively peaceful times. But it, still, still there is there is a lot of suffering. There is there are a lot of conflicts and problems in the world in general. And I think uh, what you are doing is extremely important, especially for uh, for Ukraine and 
for for yeah this connection between between the the Ukraine and the free free press tradition of the of the global West. I think uh, it is a very important impact that you are having all, already. As a third year student, it's it's even more impressive. I think. Impressive is one word. Difficult is another word. <laughs> but thank you, thank you for your time. I mean, words. everything, everything, everything good in this life comes comes with a difficulty. I mean, correct. There is always a price to be paid. Life um, is not work now. Yeah, uh, I think to to conclude, what is next for you? For me personally, I'm trying to survive uh, the last few exams that I have over the next few days. And after that, I'm not going to relax because after that I have to write three stories from my Donbass trip. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, um, I mean, I just have a never-ending cycle of work. But I love it so much that once I stop working, I get stressed because I'm not working. And <laughs> I, I feel like I'm wasting my life. I'm wasting my time. I even have a tattoo, which if you may be able to see it here, I have a tree. Um and it's a symbol of growth for me because um, I think it's extremely important for young people to remember that um, they have to continue growing mentally, academically, physically, regardless of the situation they're in, regardless whether it's a pandemic or whether something happened in their life or regardless of their age, because I think there are so many young people who think that they can just kind of waste their youth and just go with the flow and not really care about their careers or what they're going to do until like graduation and i think that's just the most stupid thing ever i cannot deal with those people they just frustrate the hell out of me because those are the same people who are going to be complaining how difficult it is to find a job whereas in reality it's not you just haven't done anything for it um so uh well to come back to your question um I am helping the XGIF post team but to build the new media. I contribute. I write. I write um, short stories for our newsletter. I'm going to continue writing larger stories for our website that's going to be launched. Um, and then uh, I'm going to have a few months of break, and then I'm going to have university again. I'm going to go to France finally. I wasn't able to go to France because of COVID, but I'm finally going to go to Homs um, in France for a semester. Um, I have a few job offers. Um, one of my professors who taught um, cultural heritage diplomacy and also Middle Eastern politics, he offered me to get involved with some of his projects uh, connected to the Middle East, connected to cultural heritage in Jerusalem, connected to uh, various podcasts he's working on. Uh, so maybe for some time I'm going to step away from the strictly journalism fear and try myself in something else because I really don't have any other experience. So this will be interesting. But also I may choose to stay at the newly created the Kiev Independent, which is the new publication we're establishing as the ex-team of the Kiev Post. So uh, I still have a few weeks to figure it out, but I certainly know that my life won't be boring. So that's all that matters. And for the ex-Kiev Post team, yes, we've, uh, we're registering the new media right now. We're already offering two products. We have a podcast. Everyone who's listening to this, go listen to Media in Progress by the Kiev Independent. It's a podcast we're making, um, pretty much taking you guys behind the scenes of how we're creating this new pu publication, building it from the ground up, 
we're talking about how we got fired we're talking about how we chose the name which took forever because it's 30 people whose opinions had to be negotiated so uh, we're really taking you along on this journey um and uh we're gonna launch a website so uh yeah I'm, i'm feeling very hopeful all of us are feeling feeling very hopeful because of the love and support we've received both on individual level and as a group so i know that the next few months are going to be extremely busy and difficult but also extremely interesting so amazing yeah this message of hope is just very inspiring because you uh, as you are you're a very inspiring uh, person uh, Nastya it was a big pleasure having you I really enjoyed our conversation and thank, thank you, you very, I... very much for joining the podcast of course it, it it was very fun to just share these stories with you um i can talk about this for hours but i probably shouldn't because <laughs> you have other things to do <laughs> but thank you so much for inviting me thank you very much for listening if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to breach your podcast and share it with your friends and if you are interested in more content from breach europe you can find us on facebook instagram linkedin and our website breacheurope.com There, you can keep track of our local and online events, as well as our blog, where we publish new articles every Tuesday. Come back for the new episodes. Bye!